I enjoy a nice glass of wine, but I don't pretend to be an expert in wine. I usually just want a wine that's high quality, delicious, and not too expensive. And to me, that's Bogle Family Vineyards. And here's the thing about Bogle. This is a third-generation family-owned winery from California that makes exceptional wines for about 10 bucks a bottle. Bogle wines consistently earn best buy designations and high ratings from wine enthusiasts. And let me tell you something. The folks at Wine Enthusiast, they drink a lot of wine. They drink a lot of fancy, expensive wine. And yet they still keep giving great ratings to Bogle. And Bogle Vineyards has so many different kinds of wine. Whatever your mood, whatever you're eating, there's a wine for you. They got this great Pinot Grigio that's crisp and fruity, goes well with spicy foods, with fish. They have a classic Chardonnay that's balanced, amazing, with a pork tenderloin or butter chicken. I like to take that Chardonnay and do what Jacques Pepin taught me, a couple of ice cubes in your glass of Bogle. If Jacques Pepin says it's okay, then it's okay. And there's the Bogle Pinot Noir, refined and elegant with bright fruit and about as food-friendly as a red wine can be. You're not going to believe it's only $10. Neither will your friends if you tell them. So pick up a few bottles of Bogle wherever you buy your favorite wines. Please drink responsibly. Hey, everyone. Today's Reheat is an episode from way back in 2015, and it is a carbonated beverage extravaganza. If you're doing dry January or if you're sober or sober curious, this episode is especially for you. That being said, if you just want to nerd out with the biggest soda nerd I've ever met, this one's also for you. This Reheat was requested by listener Alan in Kansas. Remember, if you have an episode you'd like us to pull out of the deep freezer for a reheat, send me a message at hello at sporkful.com. Thanks and enjoy. Hi, Dan. This is Ben calling from Kaysville, Utah. And I, I would really like your help with something. Um, I'm a lover of food, and I love going out to restaurants, and I love cooking food. Um, but I'm Mormon, and I don't drink alcohol, uh, which means that I feel like I'm not really taken seriously as a lover of food. Because when you go to the restaurants, there's the nice drinks to have with dinner, which are the adult drinks, which are the alcoholic drinks. And then there are the little kid drinks to have with dinner. And so I feel like I am being sort of shunted away off to the kids' table. And so I'm wondering if you have any advice as far as um, good, tasty adult drinks that aren't alcoholic, but that can pair well with different foods. Uh, I'd really appreciate your help, and I hope to hear back from you soon. Thanks very much. Bye. This is The Sporkful. It's not for foodies, it's for eaters. I'm Dan Pashman. Each week on our show, we obsess about food to learn more about people. And Ben in Utah, that is a great question. Today on the show, we're going on a mission to find you an answer. And to do that, we're taking a road trip to a very special store, Galco's Soda Pop Stop in Los Angeles. They stock 750 different kinds of soda, including some I had never seen anywhere. Well, this one is made with pecans rather than peanuts. I remember when we got the Americana Huckleberry and espresso, they say espresso cola. This is the owner of Galco's, John Neese, walking me through the store. Mr. Cucumber became the soda of the year. And it's according to who? Here. According to Beverage World Magazine, 2010. I have never met anyone as passionate about soda as John Neese. But can he help Ben in Utah find a non-alcoholic drink worthy of pairing with a good meal? Coming up, we'll find out. And we'll take some detours along the way. Stick around. Okay, so we have a basket. Galco's Soda Pop Stop began as an Italian grocery in 1897. John Nice's father joined as a partner in 1940. He eventually bought the place from the Galco family. John's parents worked there well into their 90s. 
They celebrated their 70th wedding anniversary at the store. As a boy, John bagged groceries there. He did it for one reason. When I was a little kid, we didn't have sodas. We never had a soda in the refrigerator at home. I went to work as a little kid with my father so I could have a soda. Let me take you over and... Now John's 76. He's been working at the store most of his life. When he took over for his parents, he made a change. No more groceries. He put the focus on his passion, soda. For a couple reasons. First, the neighborhood was changing. There weren't so many Italians looking for groceries. And also, big chain stores were moving in, forcing out the mom and pops. And the chains didn't carry any of the sodas John loves. Our business is primarily done with little independent bottlers. We're not mainstream. You know, you're not, you're not going to find a Coca-Cola in this establishment or a Pepsi. One of the things that I love about walking through these aisles is the labels. Oh, yeah. These labels are so beautiful, and there's such variation in them. Um, what do you think makes for a great soda bottle label? Um, something that'll, that'll stand out and people will recognize. For example, you know, Moxie. I think Moxie, just because of the color in the label, the, the orange and the dark, it's either black or dark blue. I mean, that thing just pops out. And you got Sometimes, some, cla- I mean, Moxie established 1884. You got correct. new grape soda over here since 1921. Uh, Oso Butterscotch Root Beer since 1946. They've been around. I mean, this is some real, this is like, uh, this is like a soda museum. Well, I hope it's not a museum. The people coming here to taste them. Well, I mean, it's, but, a, it's, an, uh, it's an active participation museum. Okay, that's it. It's, like Intera- that, it's interactive, an interactive right, museum. Right, that, yeah. <laughs> and, when, and when you're deciding what to stock, is that pretty much... John tastes it. If he likes it, we're going to stock it. If I like it, it, we're going to stock it. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that works pretty well. Yeah. Like the red ribbons, uh, those come out of Pittsburgh, and they go back to 1904, and they're still operating. They're now, they are on a pinpoint carburetor, which means they use dry ice. That's a real old way of making sodas, but they're, but they're true to their roots. Look at, and then... What, what, wait, I'm sorry, I want to hear more about that. What does what is dry uh, ice do in terms of making soda? When you, get, when you use dry ice... The dry ice breaks down. It gives off the CO2. You get a, uh, and you get a real fine carbonation. Not only that, but when you use CO2 from dry ice, it doesn't go flat in an hour. It'll actually stay carbonated for three or four or five hours. Really? Can yeah. I try that one? Yeah, we can try it. L- l- uh, you know what we should do? We should get a shopping cart. We can do that. Let's get a shopping cart so that I can buy some soda while we're okay. walking. Yeah. Like, they have different flavors. But this Galco's is looks like a pretty standard small grocery store, maybe five or six aisles. But instead of food, it's just shelves and shelves of soda. Then we're going to try this one right here. All right. Which one are we starting? Yeah, lighter flavors first. Okay, great. There you go. This is Sweet Blossom Rose Petal Soda. This is bottled in Romania or made by a Romanian guy? Here, but Illy's from Romania. All right. Oh, my God, that's so good. Isn't that good? It's, it's something you wouldn't expect from a soda. It's not, it's not uh, perfumey at all. Right, right. And very delicate. And it's very good the way it comes out. You ready for the cucumber? Yeah, let's do cucumber. Okay. Okay, now this is the cucumber. Oh, wow. I mean, that's, that's cucumber. That's, that's made from real cucumbers. I like the cucumber. I think that the rose is more one that I would just drink all the time. The cucumber, I feel like... It's just so funny, like, cucumber has become this really trendy thing to mix in cocktails with gin and vodka, and it's like, just buy this soda and pour liquor into it. And that's true. You can do that if you like. 
And a lot of people, that's exactly what they do with it. Now, this is the one that has been uh, carbonated using dry ice. Yes. And you say that makes for it, the carbonation last longer. And I can see those bubbles. See the bubbles in it? The little, the little fine bubbles? Okay, so now I'm tasting this is Red Ribbon Soda Works Almond Cream Soda. Um, Red Ribbon established 1904. Okay, here we go. Oh, man. You can totally tell the difference. You can. You can tell it. The fine carbonation. And most people today don't even know about that. They don't even know they're still a, that they, sodas are still made that way. There's very few bottlers. It's a very expensive way of making sodas. Can you describe like, the spectrum of carbonation from the smallest? Uh, how much variety is there from one end of the spectrum to the other? You remember today, most sodas are very high carbonated because one, it saves syrup, and two, plastic and aluminum cans leak. They have about a three-month shelf life, and then they're gone. And that's the way they're made. This one right here will, will stay that way. The way it goes in is the way it comes out. At this point, John and I had covered a lot of ground in the store, but we hadn't even gotten to the root beer. Now, you might think, if you've had one root beer, eh, you've had them all, right? But John stocks 86 different root beers. He says each one's distinct, and they've changed over time. Today, root beers are very creamy. You know, root beers were never creamy before. They were always very light and delicate. And as we gotten away from using um, bark oils and things like that, they become sweeter and creamier. So root beer actually really is any soda made from the root of a plant. Roots, barks, and herbs. That's what it is. Barks and herbs, okay. And it could be anything. It could have uh, birch beer in it. It could have sarsaparilla in it. Uh, Originally, a lot of root beers had sassafras in them. All right, so now this one, Oso Butterscotch Root Beer since 1946. He feels that everybody should have a choice, and he makes like probably four different root beers. Oh, this one is ridiculous. I mean, I'm a, I'm a butterscotch guy. Oh, okay. So there you go. That's why he does them the way he does them. Wow. This is literally like someone melted butterscotch candy and poured it into root beer. That's it. The number one question I get is, what is your best root beer? And I say, well, after you taste them all, let me know. <laughs> because you can't. I mean, I made that mistake one time of telling a lady that I thought a root beer was good. She came back two weeks later and told me it was the worst root beer she's ever tasted. And like, it just would, ha- would happen to you right now. You like butterscotch. You tasted it, and bang, that's it. So when you're getting somebody who's using really, really good ingredients, you will know. You will taste the flavor. It'll go pop. And that's the way Coca-Cola used to be. Right. <laughs> Not anymore, but that's the way they used to be. Speaking of the way things used to be and the way things are, there is something nostalgic about soda. Like, it's, it's sort of like, we t- people talk about comfort food. Yes. It's sort of like a comfort drink. Well, it is. And everybody that you talk to, and most of the people that come in here, especially old timers, they can tell you exactly where they were and what they were doing when they had their first soda. And you can't do that with a lot of other things. But you know where your first soda was. Oh, boy. One controversial issue in the soda community. I noticed that you go by the name Galco's Soda Pop Stop. Stop, yes. Do you call it, normally do you call it soda, do you call it pop, or do you call it soda pop? It depends what part of the country you come from. If you're in the Midwest, it's pop. Out here, it's soda pop. And that's, so that's and your it preference. it could be a tonic in New England. It could be, yeah. That's what most people out here would call it. They would call it a soda pop. Okay. Or a soda. 
something like that. Do you have a, do you have a personal preference? No. You as long ju- as I no, as long as I can taste it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I don't care what you call it. Yeah. <laughs> That's John Neese from Galco's Soda Pop Stop in L.A. People come from all over the world to shop at Galco's, but if you can't make it there, most of John's sodas are available through his website, sodapopstop.com. Thanks to that website, I got a red ribbon almond cream soda in my fridge right now. John's pretty magnanimous about the terminology, but as you may know, people get very worked up about whether it should be called soda or pop or soda pop. Coming up. I'll consult a linguist. As for Ben in Utah, who wanted non-alcoholic drink pairings, I'll get him on the phone with John, the soda expert. Stick around. Time to cook up some advertisements. In the Pashman household, we're already big fans of Tillamook shredded cheese. In fact, I used it in developing many recipes in my cookbook, and now I'm getting into their ice cream. Tillamook ice cream is made with more cream, so you get smooth and dreamy scoops each time. You may not realize it, but this is why a lot of the store-bought ice cream doesn't taste the same as what you get in, like, in an ice cream parlor. But with Tillamook, they don't skimp on the cream. These people know dairy, okay? Tillamook makes a great, rich vanilla ice cream with real crushed vanilla bean seeds. They have an Oregon strawberry, sweet strawberry ice cream with ripe Oregon strawberry pieces. The one that I really love is the mudslide flavor, a smooth chocolate ice cream with a ribbon of rich fudge and chocolatey chips. You want to move the spoon around to get fudgy and chocolatey chips and the ice cream all in the same bite each time, and it's just so, so nice. And like I said, I just trust Tillamook when it comes to dairy. They make over 200 different dairy products, and the brand is farmer-owned and led by dairy experts. Find Tillamook ice cream near you at Tillamook.com. That's T-I-L-L-A-M-O-O-K.com. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, a business tripper, or a long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. They've got over 7,000 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels, and you will get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. I especially love those Cambria Hotels. They have locally inspired hotel bars with all kinds of specialty cocktails, downtown locations right in the center of all the action. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces. That way, if you're a business traveler, you'll be able to get all your work done. On-site restaurants, fantastic. And then at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles and great pools for the whole family and spacious rooms. I mean, if you have kids, you understand the importance of the pool. If you stay at a hotel with a pool... Almost nothing else matters. Fortunately, all the choice hotels take care of all the other stuff too, but I mean, a pool is a great start. Whatever kind of vacation you're going on, whatever kind of travel you're doing, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. A few years back, my friend Justin Warner from Food Network moved out to South Dakota. He opened a ramen joint, and he is always posting pictures of all the great food he's not only cooking, but eating all over South Dakota. He's always telling me to come visit. And you know, one of the best ways to experience a new place is to eat your way through it. But it's equally important to live your way through it, too. And when you summer in South Dakota, you can fill up on all the lake days, hikes, rides, and small-town strolls that'll leave you with a regained sense of wonder and a hunger to do it all over again. See why there's so much South Dakota, so little time at Travel South Dakota. Famous Amos chocolate chip cookies are so iconic that I just say Famous Amos and it's like I can taste it. 
each cookie is filled with semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch. And the word satisfying is very key there because some cookies are crunchy and brittle, and I don't like that. But Famous Amos has a deep, tooth-sinkable, satisfying crunch that I know and love. And Famous Amos classic bite-sized chocolate chip cookies are bringing back the original recipe that everyone knows and loves. One perfect bite, everything classic in a cookie. Find Famous Amos cookies anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Welcome back to The Sporkful. I'm Dan Pashman, and I am very excited to announce that we are launching a brand new podcast on January 22nd. It's a limited-run podcast that you're going to be able to find right here in The Sporkful feed. It's called Deep Dish with Sola and Ham, hosted by chefs and YouTube stars and friends of the show, Sola and Ham El Whaley. They're married, and they pretty much spend every day nerding out on food together, and you're going to get to hear them do that on a podcast. Each episode of Deep Dish takes one dish and does a deep dive into its history. At the end, Sola and Ham go into the kitchen and cook up something inspired by that dish. The first episode starts off with two dead bodies and a trunk full of tamales. It's a good one. You don't want to miss it. Deep Dish launches January 22nd right here in the Sporkful feed. Thanks. Okay, back to the show. As you may have noticed listening to this episode, I call it soda. I grew up in New Jersey. But if you grew up somewhere else in the U.S., you may use different terms for your carbonated beverages. Soda is what you say if you're from the Northeast, if you are from California. And interestingly, if you're from a certain patch in the Midwest, Chicago, Missouri, my wife is from St. Louis, she says soda. But in general, if you are from the rest of the Midwest or the Northwest, then you are a pop person. And if you're from the South, then you say Coke. Those are the three big contenders. This is Professor John McWhorter. He teaches linguistics at Columbia University and hosts the language podcast Lexicon Valley. As he said, soda, pop, and Coke are the terms most Americans use. But where do they come from? Well, if you go back to the very beginning, soda comes from the sodium that was often added to reduce acidity. Pop comes from the sound it makes when you open it. Soda pop is actually a rather archaic term. And it's where soda and pop come from. The way it actually goes is this. This is something that's more fun than it's going to sound like. <laughs> Basically, soda pop would originally have been pronounced soda pop. That's how these words that are two words begin. So, for example, juicy fruit gum. I was watching an episode of Sergeant Bilko from the 50s the other day, and Bilko called it juicy fruit because it was newer. Now we say juicy fruit. The accent always shifts as something gets older. So originally it would have been have a soda pop. Now, for some people, naturally that would have been shortened to pop, have a pop. But then as it becomes soda pop instead of soda pop, then if you shorten it, you're probably going to say soda. So in some places, the scale tipped one way, in some places it tipped the other. Soda pop is something I don't think anybody outside of a marketer would say now. But soda pop had two children. Soda and pop. And so that's where we are now. But now in a lot of parts of the South, they call all types of soda Coke. Like you could order in a restaurant, you could say, I'll take a Coke. And the server would say, what kind? And you would say, Sprite. Mm-hmm. Which which to me makes very little Completely sense. counterintuitive Right, but do we know how that came to be in the South? Yeah, it's interesting. With Coke, you're seeing another one of these common 
language change processes where something that's specific ends up having a more generic meaning. And Coke starts out as a specific kind of soda. It's very popular. And so after a while, a natural drift would be to start thinking of all sodas as Cokes. Is the reason why that has happened in the South in particular, does it, do we know, does it have to do with the fact that Coke is based in the South or any, I mean, do we know why that you is? You know, maybe it might have something to do with Coca-Cola's roots in Atlanta, but it may just be, and people hate this kind of non-explanation, it may just be, let's call it serendipity. You would predict probably that there would be somebody somewhere in the country who would be calling all sodas Coke. The fact that it's in the South, maybe that's connected to Atlanta, but it could just be that that happened to be where it took hold for no particular reason. With regard to Coke, this is more of a grammar question for mm-hmm. you. But when the word Coke is used to describe soda generically, mm-hmm. not the brand Coca-Cola, mm-hmm. should it be capitalized? <laughs> That's interesting. I've never thought about it. And, of course, standards and preferences will differ. My preference would be that the capitalized version is restricted to actual Coca-Cola and that then you use lowercase for this generic soda term. And what about tonic? To be honest, actually, there's no one region where tonic is said. Just randomly, that's something that some people say in some places. There is another term for soda that you and I probably have never heard used live, but it's pretty common, which is belly wash. And there's a slightly humorous tinge to the term, but it's also pretty generic. So that's one term that you can definitely see. Is there a specific type of soda pop that that triggered that name? Like, was there ever, like, a soda that was marketed as, like, it'll clean out your insides? Like, <laughs> <laughs> No, but if you look at the dialect atlases and the quotes about belly wash, then you can see that there is a certain notion that this stuff isn't very good for you, and so it'll wash out your belly and maybe, you know, have some sort of effect on the other end. <laughs> right. And after a while, people are actually just calling it belly wash casually. Professor John McWhorter teaches linguistics at Columbia University and hosts the podcast Lexicon Valley. His books include Why English Won't and Can't Sit Still, like literally. Thanks so much, John. Thank you, Dan. Now it's time to bring it all back to where we began, to Ben, our listener in Utah. I hope you felt inspired by all the amazing sodas John Neese told us about at Galco's. But Ben said he wanted pairings. So joining me now from Kaysville, Utah, is Ben Abbott. Hey, Ben. Hi, Dan. And joining me on the line from Galco's Soda Pop Stop in Los Angeles is the one and only John Neese. Hey, John. Hi, how are you? Great. John, meet Ben. Ben, meet John. Hi, John. Nice to meet you. Very nice to meet you, too. So, John, you know, I had a great time hanging out with you at your store. Listeners already heard about uh, all the wonderful things you have going on at Galco's. Um, but, but I want you to try to help me help Ben. Okay? Okay. I've asked Ben to think of three specific and different dishes that are things he might like to eat. And he's going to go through each one to you. And I would love it if you could recommend one or two varieties of soda that you carry in the store that you think would pair with the dishes that Ben's talking about. Can you help us with that? Well, I'm going to try. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Ben, what is the first food you would like John to pair for you? All right, John, the the first one that I thought of was um, I wanted to go Italian. So uh, what about a fettuccine Alfredo? Well, of course you'd want to get a a vignette 
they're non-alcoholic, but they use the grape juice of the varietal. For example, they use a Pinot Noir grape, and then they cut it with 50% water, so it comes out like a sparkling uh, Pinot Noir, but there's absolutely no alcohol in it. You're not getting the fermentation. All you're getting is the flavor of the grape. And with these three grapes, they have a drier finish, so they go very well with any food you select. And they are absolutely, I mean, these people are right on the niche for, for uh, restaurant pairings. That sounds great. Ben, what do you think of that? I mean, that sounds awesome, because that's my biggest complaint, is that it's, um, you know, the non-alcoholic things are sugary, sweet, syrupy, fizzy kids' drinks. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I, I love me some root beer, but as far as, like, pairing with a meal, that sounds, that sounds like a whole, a whole new world that I'd be excited, excited to explore. Great. John, what was the name of that brand again? The name of the brand is Vignette, V-I-G-N-E-T-T-E, Wine Country Sodas. And they come out of, um, I believe they're out of Berkeley. All right. That sounds great. Ben, what's the next dish you want John to pair for you? I started with Italian, and I'm, I'm from California, and so the next one I want to ask about is, is Mexican food. Um, enchiladas with a side of beans and rice. Well, when I think about Mexican food, I also think about the drinks that are native to the country, like the tamarindo. And uh, there's that, that brand out there, um, Jaritos, and they're pretty common. And I will tell you, they're natural-flavored sodas, the, the Jamaica, the tamarindo, those type of things are very good with any kind of Mexican food. John's talking about uh, tamarindo, which is a tamarind-flavored soda that is, um, is it Mexican or Latin American? It, the brand is called Juaritos? Uh, Juaritos is a Mexican brand. So how does that sound? That sounds great. It's funny. As soon as he, as soon as he said it, I was like, of course. Well, <laughs> you know, they also have a brand there called Cidral Mundet. And Cidral Mundet is an apple soda. And I've been by the, their, their plant, and I've seen like seven of those big bin cars, uh, rail cars lined up with apples, all apples. So I know they're using real, real apples in their apple soda. And that, those are, I mean, that's about as good as they get. That one and the Cinodial, that brand, that is probably the best sangria-style soda I've ever tasted. And it is delicious. There you go, Ben, sangria-style soda. What a, wor- what a world we live in. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ben, one more for us. Okay. Man, I feel like the pressure's on now. Um, <laughs> Have a soda. Right, so I'm going yeah. to do this one. The, the, um, um, so at Thanksgiving, my family makes a drink called Mormon Champagne. Um, and, of course, since moving to Utah and meeting a whole bunch of other Mormons, I, none of them have ever heard of this, so it may be kind of a misnomer. Uh, but we make our Mormon champagne by uh, freezing uh, grape juice in the ice cube trays and then putting a couple of cubes into a glass of ginger ale. And so as the, ice cube, well, as the grape cube slowly melts, the, uh, the grape juice mixes with the ginger ale, and, uh, and that taste of the slowly melting grape juice with the ginger ale, to me, is as Thanksgiving as turkey and stuffing, as anything else. It, that, to me, is the taste of the holidays. Uh, what I wanted to ask John is uh, if he has any recommendations that are either similar to that or um, maybe something in a completely different direction that I never would have considered that, that would go well with, I mean, yes, Thanksgiving dinner, but, but just basic meat and potatoes type food. John, what do you say? I'm saying I have just what you're looking for, and it's called Champagno. 
And they used to call it champagne, but the French government kept sending them all these nasty letters, said they were going to sue them, and they said they were too small to get sued, so they just changed the name to Champagno, and now they don't have any problems. How do you spell that, John? C-H-A-M-P-A-Y-N-O. And who makes it? This is made by Natrona Bottling Company, and I will tell you, it is very, very limited. Uh, when they do it, it is wonderful. And, and Natrona, they're in Pittsburgh? Yeah, they're outside of Pittsburgh. They're a little tiny bottler, like I said. They go back to 1904. And, and so am I right to say, John, that it's roughly speaking like a non-alcoholic champagne? It, that's what they were playing on when they came out, and they came out during World War II because the sugar rations were cut to all the bottlers. And in order to stretch the sugar rations, they came out with a dry soda. It sounds pretty cool, i got to say. Well, they actually use a pinpoint carbonator, which is really different. You know, they use dry ice. They actually allow the dry ice to break down. I, I've been there. I've seen it. Oh, th- th- are these the same people that, you, you, that I tried that, um, the almond soda with the, the yeah. dry ice? Oh, my. Oh, Ben, you got to get this one. And, Ben, with the dry ice carbonation, the bubbles are so much finer and more delicate. Like, I never realized how abrasive the carbonation in, in mass market sodas are until I had the one that John uh, gave me that was made with the dry ice. And it is it's just sublime. you got to check it out. All right, well, Ben Abbott in Kaysville, Utah, and John Nees from Galco Soda Pop Stop in Los Angeles. Thanks so much to both you guys. Oh, well, thank you very much for inviting me to participate. Thank you, Dan, and thank you, John. see photos of some of my favorite soda bottle labels at Galco's, and for the link to order those sodas online, head over to Sporkful.com. This show is produced by me, along with senior producer... And Sani. And associate producer... Ngofen Putubwele. Our editor is... Gianna Palmer. Our engineer is... Jared O'Connell. Music help from Black Label Music. The Sporkful is a production of Stitcher. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Jenny Radelet. Until next time, I'm Dan Pashman. And we are Austin and Karen from Provo, Utah, reminding you to eat more, eat better, and and eat eat more more better. The team that produces The Sporkful today includes me, along with senior producer Emma Morgenstern and producer Andres O'Hara. Our engineer is Jared O'Connell. The Sporkful is a production of Stitcher Studios. Our executive producers are Nora Ritchie and Colin Anderson. Until next time, I'm Dan Pashman.